scripture passage for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Our hearts are the soil. Um, whatever the ground is like, Lord, prepare it for your word to germinate, grow, and bear fruit for our neighborhoods, the world, and our own souls. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm thinking about a lot this week about um, how we think about Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas. I'm thinking especially about the famous songs of Christmas. Perhaps the most famous uh, of the Christmas songs is I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. When it first came out, I, I read that there was a, um, an uproar over this song among the, the Christians um, because it says nothing about Jesus, <laughs> nothing at all. Um, but that's not really actually the problem I have with the song. Um, the thing that intrigues me most about the song is it's a song about a dream. It's a song about the past, um, the way things used to be. Uh, dreaming of a white Christmas and wanting that again. And it seems that this is one of the ways, at least, that we celebrate Christmas. It's this whole idea of wanting to Christmas to be like it used to be. We, most of us, I think, have a memory of a really positive Christmas or something that meant a lot to us. And the hope that we have going into Christmas is that this Christmas will be like one that has come before. 
The Christmas songs in the Bible, and by that I mean the ones that uh, are sung by Jesus' mother and Jesus' uncle, Zechariah, those Christmas songs are very different. They're not about anything in the past. They're about a dawn breaking over us. They're about a new future that is coming into the present. Mary's song is a lot less like Bing Crosby and a lot more like Rage Against the Machine when she says, the rulers have been brought down from their thrones, the poor have been lifted up, the hungry have been fed, and the fed have been sent away empty. That's her Christmas song. Zechariah's song is about the dawn breaking and the way of peace that has been laid out in front of us. For them, the past is part of Christmas for sure, but the past is only there as partial. Christmas is fulfillment. These two visions come into conflict when our passage this morning gets preached by Jesus. This passage that Adam read for us earlier is actually Jesus' very first sermon. And he preaches it in his hometown. And when he preaches it, this is the first major sign of conflict in Jesus' ministry. Jesus comes home to his hometown. And to be honest, it's not at all like the Hallmark movies. Hallmark movies, as you know, and, and it's every year around this time I complain about them, and so it's the annual complaining about the Hallmark movies. So uh, here we go. Um, as you all know, the Christmas Hallmark movies are about someone coming home. It's usually a high-powered executive who's gone off to the big city, and she no one really knows about her like small-town rural roots, but she's called back home for a family emergency. And when she comes back home, she meets her um, old high school boyfriend who has some sort of job in the trades or, uh, or maybe like farming where he can still wear a flannel and be fit, uh, but is doing pretty well. And, and they, they reconnect, but their lives are so different. So it's a real clash. And so there's fighting usually in the beginning. And of course, a golden retriever's in there somewhere. We don't know where. Um, we don't know why or how, but is in there. And... Okay, long story short, whatever the problem was is fixed because of a Christmas miracle. Thank goodness. And what happens? What happens? Everything is set back to the way it was. The whole point of those movies is to restore the way things used to be. Jesus comes in, and just like the movies, there's conflict. But unlike the movies, Jesus embraces the conflict. Jesus causes the conflict when he comes home. Because he comes home and he preaches this passage, and this passage was, was so precious to those people, Nazareth. They held on to it. It was like a, a well-worn token. You know, um, I have these objects that my grandfathers used to own that I absolutely treasure. And, you know, some of them I picked up and looked at, and they're, you know, they're almost shiny from the times I've touched them and looked at them in an old pocket watch from my grandfather. And that's, that's what this text was for the people of Israel. It was this well-worn text of this whole idea that, you know, one day everything's going to go our way. 
One day everything's going to go in our favor and we just need to restore the past the way it was. We're going to be the captives who are set free. We're going to go home. We're going to rebuild the ancient ruins. It's going to be great. And Jesus comes in and he says, this has been fulfilled today. Okay, that sounds good. And it's been fulfilled like this. The people who are being released, the captives, are the Gentiles. You don't, you don't mess with people's Hallmark Christmas movies, man. I've learned that over the years. You do not mess with people's idea of the past. You do not mess with the way things people imagine it's supposed to be. And that's exactly what he does. And they literally try to kill him. This, this is the beginning of him on his path towards crucifixion, his very first sermon. As I said, he applies it to Gentiles. He applies it to Gentiles because he realizes that this passage is not just about the past, it's about a future, a new future that people had not expected. This is the thing that we struggle with, and I think we struggle with it the older we get. This relationship that we have with time, the way we experience time, that the older we get, anything that Anything that new comes, anything that is new that comes along, the sheen wears off a little bit more quickly. The energy of it seems to wane. Kids, they hit puberty. It's so gross. They smell so bad. Second week in a row, I've talked about how bad kids will smell. It's true. Um, it's a thing in my life. Um, the excitement of a new job that wears off. You know, you, you get it, and then and then something happens. Vows seem to be tarnished, things like this. Um, even when something genuinely new does come along, we will often look at it a little askance and say, I wonder how long this will last. And then we seem to retreat more and more, not into the promise of something new, but more and more into the past. And as we retreat into the past, what ends up happening is we get a little bit stuck in the past. And then that awful last line from The Great Gatsby, maybe some of you remember it from F. Scott Fitzgerald, that awful last line where he looks at the boats and how the boats are being continually hit by the waves and he imagines that we're all sort of borne back ceaselessly against the tide. Jesus, along with his mom and his uncle, are saying precisely the opposite of all of this. That his birth has genuinely and actually and tangibly changed time, changed our relationship with time. Jesus is saying that Isaiah's prophecy is not something that's far off and high in the sky, nor is it something in the past that we just look back on fondly. It's not the yonder glory that we're looking toward as though we won't be able to sing and shout the victory until we all get to heaven. Apologies to the Gaithers. But it is to be realized now, precisely because the Savior has been born. The wait is over. The dream is now a reality. We no longer have to dream of a Christmas. It is now. His birth is good news to the poor, he says in Isaiah. Freedom for the captives. The proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor. What is that? 
The year of the Lord's favor is a reference for, to Leviticus. It's a very concrete moment in the life of the history of Israel. Every 50th year, all the debts would be forgiven. If you were stuck on somebody's land farming for them, you got to get off of it. If you had loaned somebody money, your debt is gone. Everything is re reordered every 50th year. That was a tangible, practical thing that happened, and it was called the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of the Lord. I'm thinking now, I'm thinking today, about how some people have not just dreamed about these things, but have actually lived them out. How there are economic, tangible, and practical ways that people have looked at these verses and said, well, wait a second. Maybe there are alternative ways of living in the world. And maybe we can live those ways. One of the ways I'm thinking of is, is ways that churches have attacked um, debt and have done something different about debt. And we all, I think we all have a general idea that there are approaches to debt that, that we can all take, you know, practical things we could do differently. You know, uh, so for instance, I, I'll never forget, um, it, it's an SNL sketch um, from a while ago, I think it's Steve Martin, and he comes up with this brilliant way to um, get rid of debt. And so he comes to this family at the kitchen table and he says, uh, I have this new surefire way of getting rid of debt. And they say, what is it? We'll pay anything. And he says, uh, here's my book. My book is called Don't Spend So Much Money or, or something like that. And they're like, really? Like, how much is your book? Well, it's free. What does your book say? It just says that. Well, uh, is there a payment plan? Well, what can we do to learn more about this? And he says, eh, it's simple. Just don't spend so much money. Um, but we know it's more complicated than that. And so some folks like Dave Ramsey have come along to give some practical things. Um, and, and they have helped quite a lot of people. But some churches have actually taken this a step forward where they've said, how can we actually eliminate debt for people even though they don't deserve it? And so some churches have pooled together money and then asked people, what's your debt look like? And they've said, we're going to do two things. We're going to release you from the actual debt. We're just going to pull together money and pay the debt. And we're going to release you from certain habits in your life that keep generating this debt. And so we're going to get together in groups and we're going to talk about this stuff. And we're, going to, we're not going to have any shame because shame is one of the things that drives us into debt. And we're going to be open and honest about our spending habits. And we're just going to eliminate this. Eliminate it. That's the year of the Lord's favor. That's the jubilee. That's a way of freeing people, releasing them to do what God has created them to do instead of being under debt all the time. When Jesus and, and Isaiah they talk about releasing the captives, you know, we all have a sense of captivity, but I'm also thinking of practical, like real incarceration. Um, Samantha and I have been talking with a young man who's, who's, who's uh, intent on helping people who are coming out of incarceration and helping them to stay out of it. Samantha herself is working on, Samantha didn't know I was going to make her a topic in the, in, the, in the sermon, and usually I ask permission, but I thought she'd be okay with it. But she's working on something called restorative justice, an alternative sentencing, which is to say, how do we actually liberate people from this system so they don't keep going back in and in and in and are continually in captivity to incarceration, to, all, to the criminal justice system, and so on and so forth. What does that look like? That's another example of exactly what Isaiah is talking about. And it's not something down the road that we have to wait forever for. And it's not something that happened in the past that we can just hold on to and say, 
Wasn't that wonderful when we did this? It's something that is happening right now. But honestly, as I was writing this, the more I thought about it, the more I thought of everybody here. The more I thought of all of you. I was thinking about how all of you are doing what Isaiah talks about, how he says they're going to rebuild the ancient ruins, to build up the, the, the ancient roads, to, to restore those roads and repair those places so that they can be lived in again. I was thinking about all the different kinds of work that you're involved in and how all of that can participate in it. I was thinking of supply chains and the tech industry. I was thinking how many of you are raising children and checking in on your neighbors. Some of you are giving voice to books, helping people into their homes, cart, earning income to support a family, and maybe even parents. Some of you support your parents. I was thinking of all you teachers and nurses and engineers instructing, healing, and building. I was thinking how some of you have been praying for and loving your kids and the kids of your kids. I was thinking about um, how some of you paint storage unit doors and uh, some of you build mowers, some of you repair bikes, some of you do art, some of you are engaged in craft. And I, I, I could, could just go on and on and on about the ways that you are involved in repair and involved in building up those places and everything you do. That's a thing that's happening now. And it should be acknowledged as that kind of work. All of it is building up. All of it is repair. What we often miss is that the thing, the thing we happen to be doing is very much just like what happens in Isaiah where he says, I've been anointed, I'm called by the Lord and empowered by the Spirit to do something. This is what you have been anointed to do. You have been empowered to do what you are doing. It can be that way if you don't see it that way. And maybe you're stuck in a situation. Maybe you're stuck in debt. Maybe you're stuck in addiction. Maybe you're stuck in something else. And you want it to be this way. And the good news this morning is that it can be. The good news is that Christ's birth, the good news of Christ's birth, is that we can be free to be people who go and build and repair the world. The mistake that the Nazarenes made, and the mistake, honestly, that most of us make, is easy to make, is that all the goodness that can happen is either in the past or waiting for us in the future. It can happen today. If Christ can be born in a cave in Bethlehem in any old time, honestly, just when he was born, then we can live into this goodness today. Christmas is a dream come true. The dawn really is breaking. And the Savior really is born. The, the impossible really is possible. Rulers can be brought down from their thrones. The, humbles, the humble can be lifted up. And the way of peace really has been put before us. We only have to walk it. And that is all. Amen. Father, we thank you for the way set before us. And we thank you for your son. May the words of Isaiah 
and the sermon of Jesus be planted in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace. Whoa!